Welcome to the Honda Hacker Podcast version June 1.0. Uh, today we have a good friend of mine, Eric Blardo, on, and he'll tell his story about how he got into cyber and some other interesting stories, I'm sure. Uh, so news, just got back from Tech Strong event in Boston. Thank you to everybody who showed up for the workshop. It was cool. I enjoyed spending time with you guys. Um, Salem, if you get a chance to go, it's a must-see on everybody's bucket list. I don't care how much you hate Halloween, you've got to go. Um, I have blast there, by the way. Uh, other than that, I'll be speaking in Cyprus uh, this month, as well as um, I just got done speaking in England for the police department, the Cyber Champions, which is really cool. Cyber Champions is like their new group of um, cyber detectives or police force. Uh, so I got to speak to all the guys coming in and ladies coming in. It was really cool. Um, without that, w without further ado, Eric, take it away, man. Tell us about yourself. And it's awesome to have you on the show. And uh, I'm excited to hear your story. I think we have some intersections within your story that we probably cross paths. Oh, yeah, definitely. So thank you very much for having me, Mike. And uh, I've always wanted to be in the Haunted Hackers uh, podcast. So this is awesome. Awesome. Um, so about me, I've been in the field of cybersecurity for now 32 years or so, started in 1989, 90, um, started with, uh, you know, being at the University of Massachusetts Amherst, and um, from there went back to D.C. because my parents were there and started working in the Beltway. Um, before, you know, cybersecurity was sexy. So the word cybersecurity didn't exist. It was uh, information assurance or information security. So started my career. My first actual job was with National Geographic in Montgomery County. Wow. And doing the AS400 security and those kinds of <laughs> <laughs> reaching way back <laughs> reaching way back yeah. on this yeah. <laughs> uh, programming in pascal and fortran 77 you know so nice, nice. and uh from there you know nine in the 90s early 90s we had that downturn in the economy and uncle sam was hiring so joined the military spent uh eight glorious years serving uncle sam um, first at the National Training Center in Fort Irwin, California, moved from there to work in NATO, spent some time in Bosnia and Kosovo, came back in 2000 to the D.C. area, uh, worked with uh, DOD, DOE, did a lot of stuff with um, in incident response, forensics, uh, certification and accreditation. Worked in D.C. for about 15 years and then when kind of decided I'm going to go commercial for a little bit, done with the governments and um, traveled across the world, 26, 27 countries that I worked in and um, did pharma, did uh, energy, did uh, medical, healthcare. Uh, finance and um, did almost every position that you have out there from vulnerability management to red team to blue team to GRC. And 
it was great being able to experience the breadth of our field. And so that leads me to the last couple of years. I've been a CISO for an organization down in Florida, um, did a VCISO for a major chemical comp, uh, company just recently, and about uh, four weeks, four or five weeks, I just got hired and started with uh, Dell Technologies uh, doing a very large GRC program for the new telco side of the house for Dell. So that's going to be very interesting here in the next couple months. On the other side, as you know, you know, about a year ago and hoping we get into it, we started out the foundation Raize Cyber, which is a foundation that we've founded to bring in more Hispanics, Latino, Latina, and Latinx into the field of cyber. Mm-hmm. And we're growing by leaps and bounds right now. So that's pretty awesome. Yeah. I, I have a lot of respect for the diversity programs. Um, I think there needs to be more of them. You know, not just ethnic, but but all all sorts of diversity. You know, you talked about DC, and, and what I find really interesting and fascinating is, it seems, it appears, looking at your background, you may may have advised on a program that I was interviewing for within the Beltway after um, Hanson got busted, the FBI, and I had just gotten out of the military. Actually, I was just getting out of the military at the time, and they approached me to go work at the Hoover Building because they were building. SOC and they were building IDSs to put in place the FBI. And what really shocked me was here I was working at USGFCOM and all of the systems we had in place monitor the Atlantic fleet and the FBI didn't have an IDS. That blew my mind. The nation's secrets are sitting in this one little building with no security. Like uh, that program, the trilogy program, I think it was called mm-hmm. back then. And right before that, I was at DOE, and I'm going to give you a one that you would like shock. Um, I was called, I was working in Herndon, and I was was told, go to Germantown, Maryland, like today. And there was an organization there that said, had been briefed in Congress that they had eight IDSs. Eight. And eight, they had eight IDS systems, right? That's what they said to Congress. When mm-hmm. I came into the building, um, I said, where are these IDSs? And they were sitting on boxes plugged in, not to the network. So they didn't lie. They said mm-hmm. they had the, and they were active. <laughs> sort of. In true in so, government fashion, they were, they were not lying. Correct. There was just a semblance of truth. They were actively going to be deployed. Right. And and the, <laughs> and the funny part is across the board that call it that 98 to about 2005, everybody was trying to catch up. So a lot of things were going on. FAA, DOE, all these agencies and civilian agencies were trying to catch up and there was a lot of that. It's like, okay, well, we need to do this. We need to do that. We need to put, you know, vulnerability management. Well, guess what? At the time, it, there was only like two tools that can do that. And it was Saint Satan, 
Um, and we didn't even have the tools that we have right now. I think Nessus was Tenable mm-hmm. just getting started. Um, and so we had a lot of these technologies that were just coming up and nobody knew how to deploy them. So it was like, your security, you're it, go. I don't care if that's not your side, but mm-hmm. go do it. Yeah, it's crazy. And just just to know that those organizations, it was like the Internet was there. It wasn't like the Internet you know, had just been thought of. It was there and established. Right. And they had all this lead time to build these defense systems because, you know, one would think, well, we're connecting our computers to the rest of the world. Maybe we should protect them, especially if they have American secrets on them. But they just, you know, hey, we'll just free gun it for a while and see how it goes. And Hansen gets busted. And all of a sudden, there's a huge project by Lockheed Martin and some other DynCorp and some other people that wanted to get in there and create a, a secure environment, which it shocked me. I didn't take the job because the job was not paying what I needed to live with inside the Beltway. Yeah. Because I don't know if anybody else you know, listening has lived in D.C., but commuting into D.C. from outside the Beltway is a nightmare. It's a good luck. Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, the good part is that I was in the re- green, uh, no, red line. So from my house to to the metro was like 10 minutes. Wow. So but it was exciting to ride the metro every day. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. And D.C. is is no joke. I, you know, I, I was born there, but I didn't live there my entire life. But the cost of living there is not cheap, um, especially in like Northern Virginia. You're going to pay some prices. Anyways, um, so yeah, that's a pretty interesting background. And I really like the the um, group that you've started, the ethnic group that you've started to bring people in. How do you pronounce it again? Ra, like oh. like the god Ra, E, Ses. Okay, gotcha. Ra-i-ses. Okay. Cool. Yeah. We just so had tell- a thing in the Discord, by the way, about like we should have a way to like teach people how to pronounce it. But yep. I think part of the problem, Eric, is we've got to put our little tilde on there. Well, and and the name has a very interesting story. So raíces stands for or translates to roots. Nice. Okay. So um, the way that I chose it was root is very important to all of us in security. Mm-hmm. And roots or heritage is something that binds us all. So I said, hmm, that sounds good. That, But that's the origin of that. Um, raíces is the roots and also root. So Awesome. awesome. So tell us more about it. Tell us more about the organization and, and what you guys have planned and what's going on. And, and just give us a, a, a pulse on what you're doing over there. Oh, wonderful. Yeah, definitely. So um, currently we are at 10 city chapters across the United States. We've got um, about a thousand members. Uh, we've got about four or 500, four or 500 in the discord, but we've got about a thousand members across the United States and some chapters internationally, believe it or not. There's been interest from like Germany and Poland and different areas. So that, that caught me by surprise. The reason we did this was, um, you know, for, I'm originally from Puerto Rico, um, and for the first twenty some years, there was nobody that looked like me in most rooms that I was in. And 
I've always wanted to do something, but I never had that trigger. And last year, one of my, our members came back from DEF CON and said, I think, and it was hybrid. So let me give you that. But she said to me, I first, there were no diversity groups there and she can count on her hands how many Hispanics were there. Right after that, about a week later, the Aspen Digital Group came out, Institute came out with their diversity in cyber that they briefed Congress. Mm -hmm. And the number that stuck out was only 4% of the cyber workforce is identifies as Hispanic, Latino, or Latina. So why do you think that is, though? If I knew that, I'd solve for that. No, but the the reality is, and I, this might be controversial, in the Hispanic, Latino, Latina culture, uh, you, know, you get told as you come out of school, you get told, you know, these are the fields that, you know, these are the fields for you. Uh, it could be service. It could be anything like that. And it's only a very small population that actually makes it same thing with other diverse groups they get told yeah i'll just use the traditional and i don't mean this as anything it's like women you're going to be in the house or you know you're going to be a secretary or something that and i, I don't believe that so let's get that yeah. right neither <laughs> do we neither do we <laughs> But that's kind of the mentality that happens in a lot of the Hispanic, Latino, and Latina. So we're trying to change that from, from, the, from the beginning, the long tail, uh, if you see, from the elementary school, middle school, um, high school, and even in colleges. You know, we have a, I always say this every time somebody puts a microphone in front of me, we have a really bad problem of PR in the field of cybersecurity. Yeah. We say, do you want to get into cyber? Well, that's the same thing as saying, do you want to get into healthcare? There's doctors, there's nurses, there's x-ray techs, there's office managers. We have 50 plus different job jobs in the field mm -hmm. and we do a really bad job of saying come into cyber that's that's just not right and so we have that problem and then we have the ethnic problem or you know the different problems so what we're trying to do is number one be able to educate people number two give them a safe space with our allies like you and Kim and all these folks that are coming in here and saying, look, there is a room for you. There is there is a place for you here. And here's what we can do to educate. And here's what we do to support you. People who have entered the field already or have their beginning of education and, and certs and this and that, and then they hit that wall. Mm -hmm. experience yep. Yep. okay so now i've got certificates now i've got a, a degree now i've transitioned from it and now you don't have an experience so how do we get them there how do we support them how do we get them their first jobs and then while they're there and all of all the people in you know heck 
you and I are graybeards, you know, right. we still need support. We still right. need to be able to talk to somebody and say, how do I solve this problem? So that's our four pillars of support, the education, the networking, the job support, and the mentoring. So that, that's I'm really wrapping, awesome. I'm wrapping the Denver chan, ch uh, chapter. So anybody in Denver listening, reach out. Nice. nice. <laughs> that's, that's really awesome, man. I, I really respect what you're doing. We just um, recently got off the ground a uh, veteran um, a nonprofit, Hackers for Vets. And so it just literally launched. We had our advisory board meeting yesterday with Gerald Osier, Matt Lee, and Jonathan Cole. Also, Jack Scott's going to be helping. So it's just, it's a really cool feeling to be able to give back to people, you know, and to be able to provide that transition. Because one thing that frustrates me in cyber is exactly what you pointed out. You have the certs, you have the urge, you have the drive, the motivation, but you don't have experience. And that's what kills me is how do, as an industry, how do we change to where those people are welcome? Because right now they're not, unless you have intimate knowledge of let's say Azure or AWS or whatever, they're not going to hire you for a security role. And it, that's so frustrating to me. I, I don't know the solution for that. I've been banging my head against the wall for like a year trying to figure out what to do about that then I might have a theory for you. Awesome. Now, one of the things that we're working on with a couple of organizations is to do this, um, call it job core, if you will. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in our industry, we look at a lot of internships and things like that mm -hmm. to get information, to get, to get that experience. But where we're failing people is that education to job. What's in right. there? So there's a couple programs and we're working with the Department of Labor and uh, uh, and some other government agencies to bring in that concept of Job Corps. We're also reaching out to some companies as saying, look, let's educate these middle managers that are trying to find these unicorns and saying, I, I need a mid-level person with the skills of a 30-year veteran. These unicorns, these purple unicorns don't quite exist out there. We've already tapped the Those people are gone. that are there. Right. And, and, and companies keep on stealing them between mm -hmm. each other. So we've got a finite number of experienced people. And then we have what I'm seeing is thousands of people that are doing their 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 education that are working to try hack me and hack the box and i and e and all these other you know education areas and they're ready they're hungry they want the work and we're sitting there going well you don't have a cissp yeah. for an entry level job what Who cares, Who cares? I, I saw something uh, the other day. Now, this company in particular, I, I have a grudge against because they have a tendency to hire the lower of the low. Like, and I hate to say it, but they're typically known like they're it's uh, like a mall cop. You see them at the Walmarts and all the different places. And I, like, hey, it gives people jobs, but they do not pay well. And right at the beginning of COVID, there was an instance. But this is the, the I, I almost like, wanted to make a huge post and like, this is wrong. This is just at $18 an hour. 
yeah. entry level, three plus years, CEH, CISSP, bachelors, all this stuff for 18 bucks an hour. And I'm like, for their sock. Yeah. And, and like, you got to call no. those out. And that the is reality. the worst thing I've ever seen listed. Wow. And just imagine what they're paying the actual, like, you know, security people that are physical security, probably minimum wage. Well, yeah, when you, I, I, left, yeah. I left a job just a couple of years ago because I was doing the VC role. They wanted me to hire people that had 10 to 12 years experience. And they gave me 40, 45,000 for that. Awesome. Awesome. And I looked they at them. They get that much in like commissions to recruiters on a day, like depending. So that's why it's important. That's why going back to the education part, I don't think that, or in certain respects, I think that's a something that we're failing our middle managers, people who are in the industry. These are infosec, security, red teamers, blue teamers that are now taking these teams or take a, being a manager for the first mm -hmm. time. And they want somebody to do three jobs in one because they feel they can do it. Right. It's not that the job is there. Right. Look, you can hire three people for the price of one experience and get a larger team. You know, there's yeah. different strategies to bring well, in more people. Here's they always say, well, we don't have time to train. We're already too busy. Again, sometimes you have to slow down to catch up. That's a red flag. At the rate that they're doing. And my biggest thing right now is if you want a unicorn, hire somebody with less and experience, less money, train yeah. them and give them a bullhorn. See, that's what we do at, at the company I work with now. The, the thing I pride myself in is bringing in interns and then giving them a full full-time position as they graduate through those ranks. And there's, there's such a, a self-fulfilling factor. I know it's like super, super selfish, but to see someone come in who, you know, may have worked at a restaurant or a coffee shop or something and see them go from that to, Hey, I found this on the client's network. You know, this is what I think. What do you think that to me, that's success. But the yeah, problem is, is, is amazing yeah. because we did that. I used to manage an MSSP in Arlington. And the reason they call me the cyber papa is, well, I've got eight kids, but that's a different story. Um, on the other side, I've brought up a lot of people and I built a program in our sock where we had the interns. Mm -hmm. They proved themselves. We got them part-time jobs. And once they proved themselves, they were full-time. We did about a hundred of those over two and three years. We did about a hundred people and we brought all these people and I mentored them and I had my team mentor them. And these are people that were, like you said, you know, baristas or, right. you know, and now Look, I, I look at my LinkedIn and I see where these people are and they're managers and directors and stuff. Yeah. And I'm awesome. It's that pride that you get. See, I think I think for you and I, like going back, you know, we're probably about we're about the same age. I think we determined we're like maybe a half a year off or something. Um, but so like I think that our generation looks at management and leadership differently because when I was in Dallas last year, I had one of my first bosses show up to my talk. And to me, it meant a lot because I, I still look up to that guy, but it seems like, I don't know, maybe things have changed since we were growing up and, and the generations now, but 
it's let's see how fast we can get to the top. And what I'm seeing a lot of is let's see how fast we can get there and let's not pay much mind to how we got there. Um, and I, I don't understand that way of thinking because I come from the school of latch on to somebody who has what you want and take everything you can and learn it and learn it and then pass it on. Um, and that's two of my best bosses taught me that. And I still talk to them today. One of them has a podcast now and like, I just enjoy watching them as much as I'm sure, sure they enjoy watching me do what I do. Yeah. But I don't see that now with, with some of the younger generations. I don't know. Well, I don't know if that's, well, I guess I can kind of see that, but I mean, there's so much on social media. Everybody's giving back. It's sure. kind of like, do I need to do one more thing or how, how there's that side effect of social media. I'm not good enough. Or right. do I want to put myself out there and not be seen or, and that, that causes more damage to people that may or may not need it. So I can kind of see where like that social media could have an effect on that. But I mean, and that like, imposter syndrome that everybody, it's, it's getting 10 times because of what you see on social media. Yeah. But this is what I tell a lot of people. Technology changes every three to five years. That means that somebody like us that's been in the field for 30 years, everything we learned back then that we have 30 years experience is in a museum right now. (laughs) (laughs) So I tell people, and this is one of the things I I had this experience and I'll tell you guys this. Somebody in an interview has told me that they needed 10 years experience in this tool. And I said, the tool has not been out for five years. They're like, no. And I said, do you want me to call the CEO? And he'll tell you. <laughs> and that was in an interview. <laughs> that happens a lot because people want 20 years experience in a tool that's been around for three years. And I've seen that in um, job postings. Yeah. So there's there's that part and then what you were saying mike about the the way that people manage okay so one of the things that i'm trying to bring is both the military side of the house where we work as a team it it doesn't matter we're trying to get to an objective and that's part of what we used to do when we're it was like okay how do we do this how do we get together you know and, and and do these things and achieve these goals and it wasn't so much about who's going to be the next manager or who's going to be the next CISO we were working as a team somewhere along the line with the other generations it was about me first me first me first and then it started to change again and I think we're getting back to a community of like-minded individuals but right in the middle of that is what i was talking about those middle managers that were all a little bit i'll call it self-centered and we have we have to take them and say look what what's the phrase uh together we go far if you want to go fast you go alone i'm i always mess up those things (laughs) That's why they don't want me talking. Okay. So, you know, we need to go far together, together, stronger together. That's one of our mantras and diversity of thought where I'm not talking about diversity, black, brown, 
purple. I'm talking about diversity of thought. That mm. is the guiding factor behind crisis. That, that's really awesome. And the, the idea of thought and let that being a driving, a driving factor, the diversity of thought is a really interesting point because one of the things that I battle with when I flip on social media, when I look through Twitter and whatnot, is that diversity of thought. There is no diversity of thought. If you get, if you get one influencer with an opinion, no matter if you value that opinion or not, then guess what? You have half the industry following that opinion because that person said that. And to me, to me, that's so asinine. Like, you know, even between influencers, like we don't all agree. Like it's not something that that we agree to do, but all these people that follow these influencers, that it's like they repeat everything in a a spin cycle that comes out of social media. And one of the things that we need to tell people is cybersecurity is an art and a science. Yes. The art part is, doing things differently, being creative in how we achieve these goals. And people, when I define cybersecurity, I say the art of science of protecting data, not a science that's always right and want. And a lot of these influencers take that called the hard path. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is the way to do it. And don't talk to me. Look, I'm a veteran of InfoSec Twitter. Um, so oh God. I've got the t-shirts. Um, <laughs> so actually disability for it. <laughs> so you say something, and I always try to frame things on social media as what have have you thought of doing it this way? Right. And yeah, some people do change. Other people will beat you with a stick. But (laughs) it's important that we are open minded Mm -hmm. because we as defenders, all of us, red, blue, green, I call I call TRC green. Mm -hmm. Um, So all of us, purple, red, blue, green, forgot my purple. we're all the, the, our purpose is defending. We have to defend against the, the, the threat actors out there. Okay. So we will fight up against each other instead of aiming at our defend, uh, you know, defending out there uh, through our threat actors. Well, guess what? Get together. Let's come up with some ideas. Let's have some diversity of thought in a sock. You know, some people might think of something that other people didn't see it. If we follow each other and say, eh, that doesn't look like a bad thing. And the other person says, hmm, that looks like a pre-exclamation. Yeah. Might want to take a look at it. Mm-hmm. So just- actually, I, was, <laughs> I wanted to bring up something that you mentioned. And this may, um, I, I forgot who I heard this from. So whoever, if they were watching this, I, I hope I can give you credit one day. But Um, Somebody had posted and and talked about in one of the groups that I'm in um, about one of the reasons that we have such a problem with diversity in these different groups. And part of it may stem from the fact there's a couple different reasons. This one that they brought up um, was just how we even communicate differently in like how a Puerto. Okay, I'm going to use the the Latinos, how Puerto Ricans versus Mexican versus uh, 
Spain have different languages, right? So when we're speaking, now granted code is code, zeros and ones or zeros and ones. But when we're talking to different cultures and different backgrounds, even north from south, like south just in the United States, not even talking about North America versus South America, like we have so many cultural differences that we need to take awareness of. Yeah that we need to speak differently. We almost get it so like, well, this is so black and white. Well, one, who said that? Like the way that we speak, it's kind of like when I first learned Spanish, the first sentence I ever learned and it was, permíteme presentarme a mí mismo. Don't lie. So the, the first ones you I, learned were all the cuss words. Oh, no, I know. I was a good kid. I stop it. That. <laughs> but no, I, like it was off this tape. And when I got around somebody where I could use it, they're like, who taught you that? Like, that's not like that's if you're going in front of like the king and queen kind of. Crap. <laughs> OK, so let me let me stop you and say. I say all the time, we're 26 countries divided by two common languages. Mm -hmm. Portuguese and Spanish are both Hispanic, Latino and Latinos. So we're all we all come from the Spaniard side of the house. Okay, that's where we all come. So we have 26 languages, even in the Spanish, we have 26, you know, different dialects. Okay. And it's funny because how do you identify a Puerto Rican versus a Mexican? You know, there was a, 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 a joke comedian. On. Yeah. Gabriel Iglesias. Yes, Fluffy. Fluffy. Yes. Uh. If you watch that, <laughs> he has a video called How to Identify the Different Hispanics. And he says, Mexicans sound like they're slow. Hi. You know, and, hey, Vato, how are you? And Puerto Ricans sound like we have a time limit, you know, and and there's everything in between, you know. Um, so, yes, it is hard even within the culture to communicate the words, the words that we have, even though we're all speaking Spanish, a word in Mexican Spanish versus a word in Puerto Rican Spanish could mean different things. Totally different. Very different things. There, um, <laughs> there's one. Um, so how do you say gnat? You know, the gnats that you get in the summer. In Puerto Rico, we say one word. In Mexico, there's a different word. If you use the word, you're talking about a male anatomy in one. <laughs> but in the other one, it's a gnat. Right. Right. And, and I think the English language, too, has that same problem with multiple meanings for the same word. Like English is probably one of the most confusing languages. to learn. Oh, yeah. um, but growing up in Texas, like I had to learn Spanish and, and most of my friends were Hispanic. And, you know, that's just the way we grew up. So what, one thing I like to, to joke around with people about is when you meet someone from Puerto Rico, don't ever call them a Mexican because <laughs> that will start a war. <laughs> I and then, why there's such a, a, a like um, a thing between a lot of the different Latino cultures. It's all it goes back to football, <clears throat> soccer, football. They're all fighting. That's one. That's and one. Box, and but, boxing too. And boxing, and boxing. Yeah. There's a hierarchy of, oh, yeah. of you know, the class system it's a so people say you know there's that racism thing it's not racism it's classism 
mm-hmm. in in the Hispanic community. And, you know, somebody from <clears throat> higher education, higher you know, class, if you will, um, will have a higher class. So that's why some countries would say, how can you confuse me with that? Because it's the classism. That's how we were born and raised in Puerto Rico. You can be black, every color, like, like, like night black Mm -hmm. and still be Puerto Rican. Right. But it was the kids when they met each other, it's like, what high, what high school do you go to? And it was, if it was a private school or it was Catholic school, you were a little more higher class than, you know, so that's, that's a, you know, I'm not saying that happens all the time, but that was kind of how we grew up where it didn't matter who you are because Puerto Ricans can be blonde and blue eyed or, mm-hmm. or mulatto, which is what we call them is, you know, the, the really dark and right. you don't. I mean, I I grew up until I was 17 years old. I was in the island. I didn't really have the color of the skin piece. But we did have the, well, you went to that public school or you went to, you know, this class, this, you know, school well, over here. Just the same way with cybersecurity, too. I think that we still have that same, almost a classism issue within cybersecurity. You know, if, if you're not working here or you're not doing this, you're not doing that, then you're looked at as maybe not being that class or that that leading class of cybersecurity. And you see a lot of people trying to get to the top of that class by doing some pretty rough stuff and not really thinking about people below. Them. Um, but I think we still have the same problem. I think it's a social problem. I don't think it's necessarily a cultural problem. I think it's just a social problem, you know, with with people in modern day time. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> I think we need to attack that by putting yeah. our, our best foot forward. And that's why whenever I talk about raices, I talk about the Latinos, the Latinas, the Latinx, the Hispanics, and our allies. And it's very important that I add that because it needs to be inclusive. It needs to be everybody working towards a goal. And the goal is protection. Well, Eric, fruits don't fruits of a tree don't grow unless you have other people and things that give it nutrients and support and growth, like the dirt and the nutrients and all that good stuff. Right. So I, cho- I choose not allies. to be the I choose not to be the person that gives nutrients to the tree. I'll save that for a later date. <laughs> <laughs> I'll so, keep you away from the tree. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> so, what's on the horizon for you these days? You know, I, I, seen your background, I see everything you do with Cyber Warrior Studios and, and all that, all that good stuff. So tell me what's on your radar from, from here on out. What, what, what's your goal? So, you know, just like you, we have gotten to this point where we've gotten to these bigger roles and been a CISO, you know, this, that, the other. I'm trying to find a happy medium when it comes to my role. Okay. At this point in time, it's kind of, I kind of joke that I peaked and now I'm going downhill. Um, But what I want to do is want to be able to impart the knowledge that we have to the next generation. That, that is for me, what I want to do. 
And like I said, is keep up with the technology. We can't keep up with all this new technology that's going on, but try as best to keep up with the technology and keep on learning and moving forward. The big thing for me right now is, like I said, this new job and building that division or supporting that division. And then with the rises um, is built this into an organization that's going to be something good for the kids, the adults, the, you know, the local chapters, uh, the veterans. So I've missed telling you that. So we have as well a veterans group in there. So let's talk about that. Yeah, for sure. And, um, you know, being able to support each other. We have 10 different diversity organizations right now working together on this with the Black Girls Hack and Women's Society of Cyber Jitsu, uh, WISIS, and other organizations. I share the mic and cyber um, is also part of, you know, our coalition. So we're trying different things so that we can work as a team and build a better and more inclusive society in cybersecurity um, with, you know, women, men, you know, Latinx, anything out there that, that we can bring into this field, because the important part is bringing people in because we are going to need those soldiers and those NCOs and those officers to help us protect to do red team, to do blue team, to do work in these socks, to work, you know, in these penetration testing teams, um, assessments, doing all these different things that we need or else, you know, it's going to impact our critical infrastructure. Yep. So oh, for sure. For sure. People <laughs> are critical infrastructure. That and it's going to affect the critical infrastructure, the way that we do business and politics. I mean, it all, everything kind of intertwines. And I, that's what I try to stress to people is, you know, keep an eye on what goes on in the world because everything indirect, indirectly affects every industry, especially geopolitics. And if you're listening and you don't fall into one of the diversity categories, but you want to help reach out to those groups that, that do have the diversity um, groups and, and, you know, those types of organizations and reach out and ask what you can do to help further their cause. Um, because I think as, as people, we tend to lack that, you know, empathy or, or, or wanting to really get involved with the group because they feel like they don't fit in. Well, you don't have to fit in. That's the glorious thing is you can still help out. Um, you know, I, I, I'm a big advocate for diversity. I think that, you know, the diversity groups are great, but I think people need to get behind these groups and help those groups be successful. Because once you make it into this group, it's not about diversity. It's about the skills. Yes. It's about bringing the haunted hacker into the group so that he can talk about different things in the field of cybersecurity. That doesn't require you to be, you know, brown or purple, you know, just come in, help, support, see that people, people want to see that we have this other generation that are passing on the information and supporting the younger generation. I think that's, 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 that's worth its weight in gold. Yeah, that, that's the, and I think that's the key to life too. You know, I've said this for the past couple of years is that I feel my best both mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually, when I'm giving back to somebody else. Yeah. When I get out of myself and forget about all the stresses I have and actually do something for somebody else, 
my day changes like immediately. But growing up in this industry, you and I didn't have that shit. We didn't have something, a video to watch about what it was like when cybersecurity started. You know, we didn't have podcasts like we have now to, to listen to and learn from. And so that was kind of the, the whole point of doing a podcast in general was leave that legacy behind and having guys like you on the show with all the history. And I mean, you know, who knows, 20 years from now, somebody may, may find this video and go, what the fuck were those guys talking about? <laughs> Who knows? My kids still joke because I had the first Red Hat book, the Learn Red Hat book. With the disc, with the disc in it, (laughs) so you can install it. So, no, but it's very important. And what you said is that feeling of feeling like you've done something. And we need to get in this and get out of our heads and saying, look, We've got so much going on right now. In about two weeks, we're launching Raises Kids. So that's oh, nice. K through 12 um, different summer camps that were that that are being done across the United States. And then they have nothing else to do. So a lot of organizations do these summer camps. It's like, okay, fine. You did two weeks. Now what? Yep. Yeah. Now wait until the next year, right? So we're going to take them into a special discord, continue the education, continue supporting, continue doing things with um, guest speakers to come and talk to them about security and different areas of security and much more that we're doing there. But that's getting started in the next two or so weeks. Well, I'd love to be a part of it. Anything I can do to, to help you guys, I, I would love Dude, to. You know, it. I'm twisting your arm. <clears throat> I know, right? Because I feel like we're at the age now, like part of our life, like you said, you hit the CISO role and you start, you feel like you're going back down. I feel kind of the same way. It's like, okay, I've done everything that I want to do. Now, what do I do? And I think that that's when this whole idea of, you know, helping veterans and and building a community, because it's something I can give on, you know, that goes on. I don't have to be part of it, you know, long gone, you know, let's hope it still stands type deal. Um, but I think that's the part of the stage in life that we're at is that, you know, we've, we've had the experience, we, we've rode the ride and now it's time to like tell people to keep their seatbelt on and their arms inside the vehicle. Yeah. I think that's where I'm transitioning to pretty much right now. Yeah. Let's go work at six flags. Or something. All right. I'm down. I'm down. Totally. <laughs> well, it was an absolute honor having you on and uh, I'm looking forward to, uh, getting with Raises and helping out any way that I can. Actually, I didn't roll my R, so it wasn't perfect. You got it. It wasn't perfect. <laughs> um, but on, on one last note, I was thinking something really funny when, when you were talking about uh, the, the group and diversity. I was thinking, you know, what? how can I start my own her- you know, heritage group or, or, or culture group? And I thought, oh, no, if I did that with my race, it'd be the next APT. <laughs> Not a good idea. <laughs> Well, you can, we can do the, the white beards. I think we already have that. So for those of you who don't know, last comment, I'm actually getting my beard shaved off in November as part of a charity. At the end of November, (laughs) I'm shaving it off. Uh, Me, Matt Lee are going to do it. Matt Lee has a humongous beard. Yeah. And he's uh, we're starting a GoFundMe page. We're going to do it as a charity. So the money that's raised from the beard shaving is going to go into five different charities. Awesome. So stay tuned. I had that. mine down to here next, last week. And then my wife said, 
it tickles and she. <laughs> I'm so attached to it. I don't know if I can shit. I did it once. It's getting curls, dude. <laughs> so, or is that from you doing it? <laughs> no, no, it's it's natural. It's not. It, the longer it gets, the more it, the worse it gets. So I was in a I was in the doctor's office not too long ago doing my VA um, checkups or whatever for the, for the for the claim. And I'm in this eye doctor, and this little boy, he's got this cape on. He's got this Spider-Man outfit. He's probably about three years old. His mom's checking out. He keeps staring at me. I can feel him staring at me. So I look over, and he looks at me. He, without breaking eye contact, he yanks on his mom's shirt. He goes, Mommy, Santa Claus. And the lady <laughs> behind the counter goes, maybe bad Santa. <laughs> oh! <laughs> so, guilty as charged. Anyways, it was great to have you on, and I look forward to doing more work with you, Eric. It's always a pleasure talking to you. And uh, for everybody else, we Are you going to DEF CON? Oh, man, you had to ask me that right before I closed. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I would like to, let's put it that way. But I've had COVID so many times that it just seems if I go into a conference area, I end up walking away with another strain. Um, if, if, if things look good, I may try to make it out. Um, I would like to do a podcast from DEF CON. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Join us because Raisa Cyber will be at the Black Girls Hack Village at the Flamingo. And we're going to be doing live streaming for all our guests. So come. I think we can make that happen, Mike. I'm joining. Or I can. And if you're not there, we'll do remote. Yes. Cool. Well, I'll, I'll right. definitely join. I'm, I'm all into remote. That's what I do these days, <laughs> I guess. Well, anyways, I will uh, talk to you guys soon. Eric, good luck with everything. I look forward to, to getting with you soon on, on uh, your uh, group, your diary group. Kim, thanks a lot. We'll see you guys next week. Bye, guys. Cheers. <clears throat>